It is good to see you all. It's been, well, I think I was here last week. I kind of lost the month of January um, for many reasons. There are a lot of hard things that happened, including one of them was one of my brothers died. That's sad. Um, he was 18 years older than me, so if I'm old, he was ancient. But the opportunity to get together with family gave me the opportunity to remember one particular story about how my brother Tom literally, honest to God, saved my life when I was six years old. Now, I'm six, he's 24 already. We're at my uncle's house on the Hudson River in New York. And if you have never seen the Hudson River, it's a real river. It's a mile wide, 100 miles north of New York City where we were. It has tides, just like the ocean. Ocean-going vessels can navigate it even farther north. From little, little on up, I was taught that if we were down in, on the river swimming, whenever an ocean-going vessel went by, you had to get out of the water because these things generated waves, and they could knock little kids over. And I don't know the dynamics or the physics of it. Some of them, not only, they didn't do regular waves. These boats made little miniature tsunamis. Those were the ones you really had to take care of. Um, so this one particular day, the boat was going by, and it's slow enough that I have plenty of time to be obedient. And I'm out of the water by just a couple inches, playing on the rocks on the shore, um, not paying any attention to the fact that the water's sucking out. And I mean like from maybe about where the steps are to the end of the stage, the water just disappears out. And all of a sudden, it's just like a tsunami. And the last thing I remember as I was going under was my brother sprinting toward me and grabbing me by the back of my little bathing suit straps and lifting me up like a lobster or something. Um, and I tell you that story because you might think it's very, very unfair that the laws of nature would operate against an innocent little six-year-old. And you might think it very unfair that, you know, without me being able to explain the dynamics of what was going on, the tsunami was coming after me. But the fact is the laws of nature cannot be overridden, and you're not going to get rid of them with the excuse of, I didn't understand. I didn't know. I was close. I wasn't trying to be bad. And so in that sense, that story does tie in with what we're going to talk about tonight, which is the holiness of God. Because the holiness of God is there. It is real. It's his character. It cannot be... Um, circumvented. It cannot be overridden. You cannot give the excuse of, I didn't know you were holy. I didn't understand. Um, this is a fact that the Lord will display his holiness. And so, but the story we're going to look at tonight is, um, is just kind of a crazy one. Kind of a crazy one. Three whole chapters out of the book of Samuel, which we're going through now. Um, and if it doesn't prove God has a sense of humor, I don't know what will prove that to you. Um, I'm going to give you the spoiler up front now. I did this in morning church this morning because we called it family church and kept the kids in with us. And I didn't know if we'd make it to the end of the sermon, so I gave the end of the sermon at the beginning. So you can do that, have that too. Um, the story we'll look at, carry the thought through with you as we go through a story about what happens when the holiness of God 
his worth, his value, our reverence toward him, his all-encompassing goodness and justice that cannot be circumnavigated, that we cannot get around. What happens if you try to ignore it? What happens if you misunderstand the sovereignty of God as if he's some kind of a little magical pawn that we can play with, a little talisman or a good luck charm that we can manipulate with our human wits? What happens when the holiness of God is simply feared as being a judgmental God? Jesse talked about God judging last week, which is true. He does, but never without an element of grace. So if God's holiness is ignored or misunderstood or inappropriately feared, then there will be a disconnect with the loving father that we know. So we're going to look at a long story, three whole chapters in Samuel. The interesting thing being Samuel doesn't appear past verse 1 of the first chapter, which is part of the whole metaphor of what happens when a people ignores a holy God, sets up their own religious system, and thinks they have overruled the holiness of the Lord. So you'll have, we'll have fun illustrations in it, too, because we needed them this morning also. Um, let's read. And Samuel's word came to all Israel. Exit Samuel. The whole country heard the prophet. And in the next three chapters, not a whit is done about what he has taught them. Now the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines, who had recently invaded from the west, from the Mediterranean, and they were bent on taking over as much land as they could with their superior weaponry. The Israelites camped at Ebenezer, the Philistines at Aphek. The Philistines deployed their forces to meet Israel, and as the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 of them on the battlefield. When the soldiers returned to camp, the elders of Israel asked, why did the Lord bring defeat on us today before the Philistines? After all, we're, we're the chosen people. He gave us this land. What the heck? He gave it to us and now we're dying in it? If God gives a blessing or a calling, doesn't he make it easy all the way through? Ah, here's a good idea. Let us bring the Ark of the Lord's Covenant from Shiloh so that he may go with us and save us from the hands of our enemies. Okay, so here's the illustration of what this ark looked like. Um, in the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, Moses was given the Ten Commandments, a lot of laws and regulations on how to establish a tabernacle, a system of worship and sacrifices. And one of the things he was given instructions for and craftsmen dedicated to God completed was this box, this ark of the covenant, ark the box, really. Noah had a bigger one. This is also a box. In this golden box, they kept the stones that uh, Moses had received the Ten Commandments on. They kept a piece of manna as a remembrance of God's provision in the wilderness. And they kept a, a branch that had blossomed suddenly when Moses' brother Aaron had had his authority questioned. And boom, God makes the branch bloom as a sign of Aaron's authority. The ark had poles because God had prescribed that this box was holy and no one was to touch it. So it was carried by poles. 
It had angels on top of it as if they were guarding this legacy that the Lord had given Israel as they came into the land. Um, the Ark of the Covenant is sometimes called the Ark of the Promise. Sometimes it's called God's footstool, mercy seat, atonement seat. There was a high, high respect for what this box represented, but it was not God. It was not God in a box. It was not a talisman. It was not a good luck charm. All the nations around Israel with their folk religions had statues and idols and talismans and lucky charms. Israel had the Lord, the sovereign Lord alone that they were to worship. And they misunderstood his holiness. And rather than dealing with the Ark of the Covenant with respect, they worshipped it and thought it was magic. So they took it into battle with them. So the people of the men sent to Shiloh, the city where the tabernacle was and where Samuel was ministering. And they brought back the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim. And Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. Now, these guys should have known better. They were priests. Okay? They should have known the law of the Lord better. They should have had the proper relationship to this symbol. But no, they're playing along as if it's magic also. We learned last a couple weeks ago when Adam preached, um, Hophni and Phinehas, you know, desecrated many, many aspects of worship by their stealing sacrifices, abusing women in the temple. And here they are playing along with the magic. When the Ark of the Lord's Covenant came into the camp, all Israel raised such a great shout that the ground shook. Hearing the uproar, the Philistines asked, what's all the shouting in the Hebrew camp? When they learned that the Ark of the Lord had come into the camp, the Philistines were afraid. A god has come into the camp, they said. Oh no, nothing like this has ever happened before. We're doomed. Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? Get this. This is what the foreigners, look at this, what the foreigners knew. They are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the wilderness. That was anywhere from two to four centuries earlier I mean, we hardly know anything that happened 400 years ago, much less happened in a foreign nation. But Yahweh was so powerful that he was known throughout the world. And the Philistines realized they were dealing with Yahweh, even though they inappropriately thought God in a box. Be men, or you'll be subject to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and the Israelites were defeated. And every man fled to his tent, a phrase meaning the whole army went AWOL, end of army. The slaughter was great. Israel lost about 30,000 foot soldiers. The Ark of God was captured, and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Wow. The Philistines, knowing they're dealing with Yahweh, are motivated to fight all the harder. The Israelites, the children of God, are so complacent with their religious practices and so misunderstanding of this God that they lose the battle, terrifically lose the battle. And further scriptures um, will tell us that Philistines just marched on and actually destroyed Shiloh and the tabernacle. Later in the chapter, we're told that um, when Eli got the news of this defeat, he was so shocked, he fell over and died. So there's the end 
of the priestly family of Eli, as had been predicted, as God had prophesied would happen because of the disobedience of this family of priests. Um, Phinehas' wife was pregnant, went into labor. She was dying in childbirth, and her last words were, Name my son Ichabod, for the Lord has departed. The glory of the Lord has departed from Israel. So a devastating, devastating time in Israel. They've lost their priests. They've lost their tabernacle. They've lost this sacred memory because they had forgotten the genuine work of God. I liken it to the idea of um, all of us finding out one day that the staff at Scum has all been wiped out the cross that we have so carefully made with um, artifacts that are dear to individuals here has been desecrated and the building burnt. Now, even if your faith is internal and strong enough to survive that, it's a punch in the gut. And that's what Israel was feeling. They still had the law of the Lord, but they had forgotten so much of it, so much that it had come to this. The story gets even funnier. But you're, you're getting the deep points of this, even in as weird and funny as the story is. Here we go. After the Philistines had captured the Ark of God, they took it from Ebenezer to Ashdod, one of their cities. They carried the Ark into Dagon's temple and set it beside Dagon, because Dagon was their national gar- god, kind of like a fish statue, you'll see. And the box should now worship the statue, because... Philistia defeated Israel. That's the way they did it back then. But when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, there was Dagon fallen flat on his face on the ground before the Ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and put him back in his place. But the following morning when they rose, there was Dagon fallen on his face before the Ark of the Lord. His hands and his head had been broken off and were lying on the threshold. Only his body remained. And the kids this morning had a great time drawing a statue with its head chopped off. They thought that was great. But there's a point here. As I said, this whole story is a metaphor somewhat. It's, we can believe it, but it is as a second level of metaphorical meaning that God will demand righteousness, and he will demand to be recognized as holy. He is sovereign over all false gods, and whatever substitutes for God will be broken by God. We should all have a bit of a pit in our stomach as we reflect, what do I substitute for God? Is it my intellect, my looks, my skills, my task, my family, my community, my money? Whatever substitutes for God will be broken by God, out of love, because only he can satisfy. So whatever we falsely depend on, God will want to wean us from, hopefully gently, maybe with a crash. Let's go on. The Lord's hand was heavy on the people of Ashdod in its vicinity. He brought devastation on them and afflicted them with tumors. We think this was bubonic plague. Um, if you read on and around and further, um, seagoing people, vessels, rodents on the ships, getting on land, tumors. 
You'll see why we think it's bubonic plague in mice later. When the people of Ashdod saw what was happening, they said, the ark of the God of Israel must not stay here with us because his hand is heavy on us and on Dagon, our God. So they called together all the rulers of the Philistines and asked them, what shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? They answered, have the ark of the God of Israel moved to Gath. So they moved the ark of Israel. Of God, they moved the ark of the God of Israel. But after they had moved it, the Lord's hand was against that city, throwing it into great panic. He afflicted the people of the city, both young and old, with an outbreak of tumors. So they sent the ark of the God to Ekron. Now, if you're city number three, what are you thinking? <laughs> As the ark of the God was entering Ekron, the people cried out, They've brought the ark of the God of Israel around us to kill us and our people. So they called together all the rulers of the Philistine and said, send the ark of the God of Israel away. Let it go back to its own place or it will kill us and our people. For death had filled the city with panic. God's hand was very heavy on it. Those who did not die were afflicted with tumors and the outcry of the city went up to heaven. I find it interesting that even though these aren't the people of God, the Bible records that their outcry went to heaven. The holiness of God, the sovereign God who made all, did not call us, his church, to be his people in order to sit in privilege, but in order to witness to those who don't have the degree of revelation and understanding that we have, because his sovereignty is over all peoples. Well, slow learners, when the ark of the Lord had been in Philistine territory seven months, the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners and said, what shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us how we should send it back to its place. Basically, the uh, military and civil authorities finally called on the religious authorities to say, what do we do? Step in the right direction, she says a bit smugly. They answered, if you return the ark of the God of Israel, do not send it back to him without a gift. Read, bribe. <laughs> By all means, send a guilt offering to him, then you will be healed and you will know why his hand has not been lifted from you. And the Philistines asked, well, what gift, uh, guilt offering should we send to him? And I don't have all these verses included tonight, but um, the guilt offering that it was recommended they send along were gold figures of tumors and mice. Now, I don't know what you got for Valentine's Day, but let me tell you, if God gets tumors and mice, the rest of us better just shut up and quit complaining. But that was part of the folk religion, the idea that you could, you could almost like build your repentance into an object. So gold tumors, gold mice to go to the God. I mean, these poor Philistines are so mixed up. They, but the Israelites are the ones who ought to at least understand. They had God's revelation directly. Philistines are grasping in the dark, trying to figure out what to do with this God who had you know, destroyed the Egyptians on the Israelites' behalf. How do we get him off our back now? So what they did, oh, you can go back to the picture. What they did was they put the Ark of the Covenant on a cart, and then the little blue box in the back has those little tumors and mice. Couldn't, I couldn't find any clip art of tumors and mice, and they attached the cart to two cows who had recently calved with the idea that 
to prove that this was actually God's doing, if those cows were willing to leave the calves and go off into Israelite territory, because we're only talking like 10 miles city to city to city, um, they would realize if the cows were willing to leave the calves and go off with the cart, that a power greater than mere natural desires and obligations was at work. And sure enough, the cows take straight off to go to Israelite territory. And um, they headed toward the city of Beth Shemesh, maybe another 10 miles away or so, which happened to be what was called a Levitical city, a city set aside with land for priests. So the Ark of the Covenant is now going back home to Israel, specifically to sort of like the seminary town where folks ought to know what to do with it when it arrives. Now, the people of Beth Shemesh were harvesting their wheat in the valley. When they looked up and saw the ark, they rejoiced at the sight. The cart came to the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh, and it stopped beside a large rock. And the people chopped up the wood of the cart and sacrificed the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. Can I stay? Don't, don't forward now. Stay on this page with me, please. The Levites took down the ark of the Lord together with the chest containing the gold objects and placed them on a large rock. And on that day, the people of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings, and made sacrifices to the Lord. Sounds good. Sounds good. Technical difficulties. Um, God's word called for bulls, not cows, to be sacrificed. Um, remember the poles? They weren't supposed to touch the ark. Um, in fact, it wasn't even supposed to be on display. It should have been in the tabernacle. So some technical difficulties here that remind us these guys had not kept strong in their study and understanding of the word that had already been given to them. But the worst is still to come. What's next? There we go. And so for those of you who enjoyed the Lego movie, you've got to see the Lego Bible. This is a real thing. God struck down some of the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh, putting 70 of them to death because they looked into the ark of the Lord. Now, this could seem really petty of God. Just because they looked. But this is a priestly town, a town that had well received and had opportunity to study God's word and know his law. And we don't get to pick and choose and overrule and debate the will of God or his holiness. Just like I could not stand up to the waves in the Hudson River and say, I'm just a kid. I don't understand the dynamics of why this is happening as the water was coming over me. What God prescribes is for us to obey because he is holy and we are the created beings. So God struck down some of the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh, 70 of them put to death because they looked in the ark of the Lord and the people mourned because of the heavy blow the Lord had dealt them. And the people of Beth Shemesh asked, who can stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God, to whom will the ark of God go up from here? This is the saddest, saddest response. They don't respond with worship. They don't respond with repentance. It's just, oh, my God, get this thing out of here. 
This God is more than we can handle. We can't control him. He's obviously got power over us. And so what's their response? Let's get rid of God. I will leave it to each one of us to think in our own hearts. And I know I've got my instances of when I've said, I would rather get rid of God than obey God. La, 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 la. Don't see you. Don't hear you. I can avoid you. Gotten around you. It's, it's terrible, terrible that the people of the Levitical city would say, let's get rid of the ark. And they sent messages to the people of Kiriath-Jerim saying, hey, the Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up to your town. So the men of Kiriath-Jerim came and took the ark of the Lord. And they brought it to Abinadab's house on the hill and consecrated Eleazar, his son, to guard the ark of the Lord. Finally, it's getting the respect it deserves. The ark remained at Kiriath-Jerim a long time, 20 years and old, and all. And all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. It's quite a story, isn't it? Don't ever try saying to yourself, well, surely God wouldn't mind if I fill in the blank of what you know is disrespectful, disobedient, um, ignoring his holiness, trying to manipulate him. What I'd like to do now is, um, it's a great story, but I want to make it just a little interactive with you. Um, this is the part I didn't get to this morning because kids wouldn't tolerate anymore. So I told everybody to go home and figure out how to apply it themselves. What are the takeaways from this story? What are the lessons to be learned? Um, not rocket science, but let me hear some of you. Give us some ideas. What do you take away from this? God is holy. God is God and we are not. That is Theology 501. <laughs> what else? He does have wrath. God has wrath. He will judge. He was more lenient on the Philistines who did not have his word than on the Israelites who did. And that sentiment carries over to the New Testament. Yeah. Yeah. When God gives us an opportunity to learn and study his word, do it. God cannot be manipulated. Please bear this in mind as you pray for your church and consider your own ministry. The sins of the leaders will have wide-ranging consequences. But the people are not excused because of the sins of the leaders. God will be worshipped by all, and his holiness, I think, is comforting because it's constant. He is faithful. He always has in mind our full potential as his children and causes us and expects us to rise to the level of holiness that he will provide through his spirit. We cannot create God in our image. I mean, really, seriously, would you want to worship of God that you could fully understand? I mean, my mind is like that big. And if I, if my, I would not worship something that was like me. I wouldn't worship something that's like you. Sorry, guys. Love you all. Respect you a lot. 
would not worship a God that wasn't bigger than any of our finite minds could construct. But we really want to worship ourselves. And we want to pretend that God is our puppet on a string or that we can manipulate God. How do we do that? How do we do that today? We don't have an Ark of the Covenant that we worship. Um, But here's some thoughts. Sometimes, sometimes we can misuse tools that God has given us to help us with our spiritual growth. Um, When my brother died, the services were just ranged across the spectrum of Christianity. Catholic relatives, Orthodox relatives, relatives of every stripe and color. And there was a notable difference between those who saw the prayer cards, the candles, the icons, the mass, as tools for worshiping God, and those who saw them as ways of manipulating God. Um, Formulas in prayer are a way that sometimes we think we can manipulate God. If you want healing, just pray this prayer. Or salvation, this prayer. Oh, you didn't say those words? Well, you better say them. Say them right. Um, We can sometimes turn our prayers into almost magical formulas. Sometimes. Not saying all the time. It can happen. Um, Ben mentioned this a few weeks ago. We bargain with God. I do this, you'll do that, right? If I, you know, if I promise I'll never do that again, then you'll get me off the hook this time. Um, We treat God like a puppet on a string when we bargain with God. Sometimes um, we try to do good deeds to augment the salvation that Christ has fully provided by his grace instead of doing those good deeds as a thank you for the salvation um, provided. Sometimes we use the Bible as a magic tool because it says in the Bible that God will give you the desires of your heart. Ask and it shall be given to you. And we come up with all sorts of ways of demanding that God come through because we've taken a phrase and ripped it out of its context and forgotten huge principles like the holiness and justice of God. Sometimes we give credit to what only God can do to people, to angels, to karma. And when we dilute, when we fearfully shy away from giving the credit to God or to Jesus, and when we try to pass it off as good thoughts or good luck, we're demeaning the holiness of God. You've got to be careful with that. Um, And sometimes we just try to throw our faith out there in superficial forms, like we get the bumper sticker or we get the T-shirt or we get the tattoo. That makes us a cool Christian. We have to be careful to distinguish between respect and worship, between a tool and the one to be worshipped. I'm all for using tools, reading scripture, saying prayers. Um, Let's make sure the holiness and the worship goes to God alone. Um, I think when we treat God with respect, we will treat 
even this building, with, when, we treat, when we realize God is holy, we will treat with respect the resources he has given us. Um, scripture, prayer, this building, a symbol like the cross. Um, we will treat with respect each other, the relationships he's given us, because we love a holy God whose image is in all of those who are around us. When we realize the holiness of God that supersedes the national gods, then I think we realize we have to consider carefully how we relate to our own cultural gods and our national gods, the things we worship, like our American freedom and liberty, like military might, like consumerism, individual rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And again, I'm grateful for all those things, but I don't carry them through my life as if that's what's going to save me. I am saved by God and his grace. So grateful, respectful, but I discipline myself to worship God alone. And I pray that all of us will too.